0: Welcome to episode 94 of Scar Bearers. I'm Chris D.T. Gordon. As always, it's a pleasure to have you here with me today and helping me out on the back end of this production. Our Nate and Britton Barron, if you want them to work their magic on your productions, reach out to them at Nate Barron. Well, folks, we are in the month of February, it is still cold if you're in the Midwest, and unfortunately, I've said it before, 2022 did not change the problems of 2021. That means that our young people, our high schoolers, our college students, those in the military are still going through issues that might benefit them by having some greater sense of gratitude, positivity, and resilience to help them through those challenges. If so, please reach out to me at chrisdtgordon.com so we can start a conversation and I can use the attitude of gratitude to help them with those challenges. Well, today, speaking of someone who helps others with challenges, I'm greeted by my new friend, Jennifer Chapman. Jennifer, how are you today?
1: Hey, Chris, I'm I'm doing well. Thanks for having me.
0: Thank you so much for being here. I greatly appreciate it. So as I was getting to know you, Jennifer, I learned that you and I have something in common. We experience our life-changing events in a very surprising way. Now, my audience knows my story of how I contracted necrotizing fasciitis, and it's not very common for a marathon runner to do so. You have a similar story, and I would love it if you could share that with us, please.
1: Yeah. Thanks so much. I, um, I'm 39 now. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I had this epiphany when I turned 34, actually I was, I was in corporate sales and cruising along, but when I turned 34, I had this, this moment hit me that my mom had passed away at 34. So my Mm. story started a long time ago we can circle back to that if, if you want to, but, um, I was 11 at the time. So to lose my mom suddenly at 11 was obviously life-changing and, and, um, you know, it has impacted my life so much. So, so to turn 34, I had that moment, like she was 34. I still feel so young. I have so much I want to do and, and accomplish and be. And then nine months later, um, and I, I will share that I, I'm also one that I was always an athlete and took care of myself and, um, you know, ate well, ran a lot, did boot camps but I, I suffered a life stroke at 34.
0: wow and so what were you doing when you had the stroke
1: yeah so you know it's i ran like four or five miles the night before felt fine and then the next morning i i, I simply went to get up to go to, to work and was getting ready to leave the house putting on my shoes and i, I got overwhelmingly dizzy and started sweating through my clothes in the matter of seconds. And, and mm-hmm. I knew like, okay, this doesn't feel right, but I'm going to lay down for a minute and hope that it decides and deal with it later. Mm-hmm. But with stroke, that's not the case. Obviously that is not what entered my mind was stroke, but I knew like, okay, something's happening. Long story short, I called my aunt and she could notice a change in my voice and I could notice that it was getting harder and harder to swallow. And so she's like, call 911 and I'll meet at the hospital. So very calmly, I was I was able to do that and get to the hospital very quickly within probably 15 minutes. Uh, but I think unfortunately due to my age, they didn't suspect stroke right away. So the neurologist that came in kind of, kind of uh, wrote me off as vertigo and oh, wow. walked out. And my family's like, this is not vertigo. Something more is happening here. Um, she's not able to swallow at all. She's spitting into a bucket. Let's, let's look, you know, let's dig deeper.
0: Mm-hmm. And so did you go to a different hospital or just a different provider for that second opinion?
1: So stayed at the same hospital. I was put into ICU. Um, I didn't know that because luckily I kind of blackout. Remember, this is all just what my family has shared with me, but they kicked that neurologist out. And the second neurologist came in about 12 hours later and checked the MRI and I had clotted in three places. Oh, wow. Yeah.
0: So. So you they find this, these clots, not just one clot, but three, right. You know, are you conscious at that time? You said that, uh, as you had lost consciousness at some point, how, I guess, how long had you lost consciousness?
1: That's a good question. I, I want to say probably for, they kind of kept me sedated for probably 48 hours. I don't, I don't remember anything. And then they were able to transition me into a regular room and I was able to come to, but still then didn't process the word stroke at all. My, my brain didn't process that. I didn't, it's not like that part of my brain was working, you know, to go into panic by any means. I was just extremely overly fatigued. My head hurt, Um, but it's not like I processed that I couldn't even get out of bed. I was not able to yet.
0: And when you are active, I mean, you, you, you said you ran four or five miles the night before that alone is a shock. Yeah. So
1: it is. I, yeah. And I did that on a consistent basis, you know, multiple days a week. I, I like I said, I, I was my family would tell you I was the most physically fit and healthiest person in, in the group. So um, with no family history of stroke. So this was an utter shock to everyone. Then.
0: You know, if, if this were a different show, we would talk about the running because I'm a runner as well. And I'm sure we could share stories all day. But, For sure. you know, let's go back to uh, the ordeal. So you finally regained consciousness 48 hours later. What did you learn and what were your, fa- what was your family telling you? What did the doctors tell you?
1: They weren't really communicating to me directly as far as this, this is what happened. I mean, there was no, I didn't notice or comprehend, you know, the severity of what had happened, which is probably okay. Um, you know, when the doctors would come in, it was to run tests, do scans, but it's not like I was really even communicating yet. Uh, if I was, um, I understand that I was extremely quiet. My voice was very shallow and raspy and hoarse. Um, I didn't really process the fact that I wasn't really able to eat anything for like five days, which is not like me, but to know, like I didn't even process that I feel hungry or anything. Oh wow. Um, I just, can tell you I had, yeah, the biggest support system a girl could ask for. I just knew that I was never alone. I always had family or friends there visiting me, but I didn't really even take in their, you know, emotions, feelings, any of it. I just knew that I was surrounded by love. That's, wow. you know, that's, that's all I could tell you.
0: You know, if uh, there are worse things than to just be oblivious to anything else, but the love that you're feeling. So when did you start You're realizing right. that, okay, this is not right. There's something going on that I'm, you know, that, that is not just love I'm feeling. I, I'm physically unwell.
1: Mm. I honestly don't even know if I could tell you I processed that. So I was in the hospital for about seven days and didn't really acknowledge that part of it. I knew I was then trans by ambulance to the acute rehab center, which was luckily across the street, but really didn't even process then. Oh, I'm being wheeled into this place. Like I'm, I'm unable to walk. I, that, that didn't hit me quite yet. I just knew those next 10 days in acute rehab, I was going to work harder than I've probably ever worked on myself when it comes to, you know, physical therapy, occupational therapy, and speech therapy to learn how to to swallow and not choke on my, on liquids or my medicines.
0: So what kind of exercises Um, do they have? I I was
1: working on best because that simple, basic tasks that everyone takes for granted, probably, um, you know, every day, right. Until you're relearning basic, just like, and, um, hand eye coordination, being able to walk and turn your head at the same time and not feel dizzy because that was happening for the first few weeks. I can tell you, I mean, even getting out of, out of, out of rehab, I would have dizzy spells, um, when I would stand up or sit down. Um, yeah, just simple, you know, puzzle puzzles and things to kind of get my brain, you know, reacting, but I can also share with you that leaving acute rehab and going into outpatient therapy was when I realized then that the biggest deficit that I was facing was that I had lost my left peripheral vision. Oh, okay. So didn't even really recognize that in acute rehab. I just knew they could tell you that I could literally only see like half of a sheet of paper. Like if I wasn't looking over here, I, I didn't think. Um, but I, they were to establish that much more in detail in outpatient therapy. And so, still to this day, four and a half years later, that is that is my daily reminder of, of of a scar. You you could say just my um, my wound that is what makes me stronger every single day is that I adapt to 40% of vision loss for sure.
0: Oh, wow. So if I were to hold up my hand on my left side, I mean, could you, if I were to, you know, I'm not sure if you can see where I'm saying, could you see my, could you see your hand as to where my hand would be? No. Okay.
1: No. I mean, it's almost like, it's almost 50, 50. I mean, like oh, wow. I, I can't see it right now looking at you.
0: Oh my goodness.
1: Yeah. So I will, you know, share that I went through lots of therapy and tests and things um, to obtain my driver's license a few months later. And I remember meeting with a neuro ophthalmologist twice uh, to test with him. And it was a very defined line on what I can see and what I cannot see. And I, he was borderline on giving me my driver's license back. And that was a moment, that was a moment, you know, for me to realize like, that would be a complete and utter loss of freedom that, that I am, I am so thankful to have. And so many people that are stroke survivors lose that freedom. And so I, I I never lose sight of that.
0: That is very important because when we get busy, we sometimes forget, wow, this actually, you know, this is something that I couldn't be able to do or a lot of people can't do. And now really quick, uh, first of all, I do apologize to all the listeners who have no idea what we were doing with our hands. But with the driving, if you're turning left, do you have to turn your head an extra amount to make sure that you see that there's no one coming up on your left?
1: 100%, yes.
0: Okay.
1: I just have to be so... You know, I have to be at 110%. I feel like every second behind the wheel, it's Mm -hmm. not like I would promote multitasking before by any means, you know, or have that occasion, you know, where you're looking at your phone or changing the the radio station or whatever that might be. It's like, I don't even want to, you know, take that chance. Like I have to be on point because even if I am, as you know, lots of people are not, I I have to be paying attention at all times to everyone else on the road. So I will share that like I work on my anxiety when it comes to driving.
0: Are there times when you will definitely not drive like during like after a a, snowstorm or when it's really rainy or at night?
1: Yes, to all of those, Uh, (laughs) to be really honest, you know, that's definitely not something I I I get asked all the time. So I like that question. But just so people do are aware, like, yeah, driving at night definitely gives me anxiety. driving, you know, during rush hour times and yeah, crazy weather. I'm not a fan. I will have my husband drive. Luckily he, he loves to drive um, as much as I can, or I will leave earlier than need be um, to take the more scenic or less stressful route. Even if it takes more time where I think that, you know, whatever's going to cause me less anxiety, I'll take it.
0: Okay. Yeah. And that totally makes sense, you know, because, I just imagine it's just, it must be like wearing blinders for a horse Yep, all the time. Well, right. um, well, first of all, you know, I commend you for being able to work through that because I can just see how that could be maddening at times. And, you know, having the, the mental fortitude to push on and, and move forward is huge. And speaking of that, you know, I want to get to the coaching. And so but I don't wanna skip anything. So after you start doing this outpatient therapy and you get your driver's license, at what point did you decide, well, I I think I wanna help others?
1: It definitely took a lot more time and work on myself before I knew I wanted to be a coach. Um, And the turning point for me was about 15 or 16 months after my stroke and the physical recovery, right? That, That was the main focus year one. And then at my one year anniversary is really when it turned extremely emotional for me and where it was like very emotionally unstable. I'm like crying all the time. I don't know why. Um, yeah. Oh, by the way, I'm still working. And, you know, I went back to my corporate sales job because I think at the time I wanted to feel some normalcy in my life. Um, but I needed to control the mental and emotional struggles I was having. And so I I tried traditional therapy first and that got me to a certain point, but it's like, I. I needed and wanted more, and I think that's the key for a lot of not just stroke survivors, but people that have suffered, you know, major life events. Like the want to overcome their their struggles, you know, and not stay stuck. Yeah. Um, and and that's way easier said than done. But yeah, to reach out to a lot of my own life coach and hire one and work with her for about eight months through through that next chapter of my recovery for sure. So. I did that um, and it wasn't until, you know, really the pandemic last year um, when we shut down last March or almost two marches ago. I'm, I'm still working full time, but, you know, when we weren't working that opportunity to be like, OK, what could this look like? And start to do some personal development and trainings and hiring coaches and really trying to figure out what can this look like for others? Because I just know what it did for me.
0: Mm-hmm. I want to go back a little bit and talk about that work you did with that mindset coach and, you know, for our listeners who've never done that, you know, how often did you work with that coach? What kinds of activities or exercises did that coach prescribe to you that really helped you make those breakthroughs?
1: Yeah. Great question. I worked with her, you know, those first four or five months, it was, it was meeting her in person every other week. And then it would go to like every three weeks, um, you know, and, and so forth. But those those first few months, it was um, she was just allow just really holding that space for me. I think is is key for a coach. Um, and and now that I am one, like people just want to be seen and heard and valued. And she did that for me, without this unbiased opinion or judgment of why is this girl sitting in front of me crying? Um, you know, and not having it together. It was like, no, I want to meet you where you are which she did. And she's like, I want to help you move forward with this new version of yourself. I want to help you regain that confidence that you've lost because Chris, I really lost all belief in myself and confidence. And I also didn't realize until working with her that I was grieving this old me and that there is a new and improved version of that's ready to come, You know, she just needs to be invited to come out. Um, so I was really working with her to be able to do that through, um, you know, daily gratitude practice for myself and acknowledging these small wins and these small moments in each and every day. And I, and I don't I don't take that practice lightly. I don't think anybody should um, yeah. because it's so powerful, right? To acknowledge those, those small wins are the, the big things.
0: You, so you preach it to the choir. This, <laughs> I mean, that's exactly what I yeah. talk about. And so I 100% agree with you. I do want to go back a little bit And before we geek out in gratitude, but when you mentioned the grieving process that you had, that you know you had some grief, a lot of times people think about grieving as a when you lose someone, like someone dies, or but we never really think of it as you you losing a part of yourself. Right. And I think that's very powerful. If I may ask, what was the hardest? Part of what you lost—that was, you know, that, what was the hardest thing to get over or to let go of?
1: That's just, oh, that's a powerful question. You know, I think it's just that that like safety and confidence that I had in who I was before. Uh, I had to really, really work hard, consistently every single day know that it's still in there. Um, it just didn't, it's not coming as easily as maybe it did before, you know, as a girl that was spent her career in sales, I was, I was definitely confident in who I was and what I was capable of doing and, um, you know, building relationships with people and just, I didn't want to, I didn't want to lose that part of her. So it was just, it was reaching, um, you know, digging deep into finding out, oh, there's, she's, she's still in there and, um, oh, she's capable of more than she was before. And, oh, it's taking a different direction to your life. And it's like stepping out of the comfort zone. Really? You know, I don't think I realized like how I, as you know, as, as humans, like we're trained to stay comfortable a lot of the times. And I think it was, that's what I was doing. And and so now I'm, I'm finding this, I'm, I'm allowing this new new version of myself to step out and still be accepted and loved. And, um, that was a more important to, for me to find than I, than I had everyone else around me, like acknowledge that within me, but it was knowing that for myself, mm-hmm. if that makes sense.
0: Yes. Yeah. We, a lot of times we are the, you know, you talk about your loss of, uh, loss of sight. We all sometimes are blind to what everyone else can see. So no, I totally agree to that. Um, okay. Such back it. to the gratitude thing. Um, what are some of the small things? Cause I love, you know, when I speak, I talk about how I'm grateful for not only the big things in my life, especially after my ordeal, but the small things. And I jokingly talk about how I'm thankful for my right armpit because I have skin grafts on the right-hand side of my body. And Skin grafts don't sweat, which means I don't use deodorant on my mm. right armpit. And I can make a, uh, I can make a stick of deodorant and last for six months. All right. And which is, you know, a humble brag, I guess, but what is something sure. small that you have found that you would never have, you know, been grateful for before?
1: There are so many stroke survivors that I've connected with that, are less fortunate physically than my, um, you know, and I, and I've sort of know, like I'm capable of standing up and taking a shower by myself without assistance, you know, without, you know, I graduated from my shower chair, you know, I, I had to use it for a few months, but, um, and to yep. be honest, sometimes it was kind of nice to sit down and take a shower, but but to know that I could, you know, now officially like stand without assistance and do that and to not have grab bars when using the restroom or, um, getting up and being able to go take a walk, um, and not have an assisted walking device. Like so many stroke survivors do it's those, those are huge daily things, right. In everybody's life that they just rush through and do because they're capable of doing, and don't think Oh, there could be a day where I'm not, allowed, you know, I'm not going to be able to do this. I, that, your mind doesn't work like that. So now it's this huge shift in perspective on what, you know, and being able to, if I just want to drive across the street to run to the, the, the grocery store, I can do that. So mm-hmm. many people don't have that luxury.
0: Yeah, that, that is huge. You know, I went through, you know, in my own recovery, I had the shower chair and I had the walker. And so I'm totally resonating with you on that. And it is absolutely correct that we have this heightened gratitude Mm. of all the simple things that we would never have thought of before. Right. And so that, that, that's, that's beautiful that you shared that. Thank you so much. So, you know, what does it look like being a, uh, you know, being a coach in your, in your space, you know, what is maybe, maybe walk me through, uh, a, uh, you know, a couple days or a week of how you operate now?
1: Mm. I love that question. And I will share, I will share that, you know, I I just went through this like 11 month coaching certification to learn how I, you know, how I want to, to serve my clients. And I can tell you, I don't know what, what expectations I have for this program, but it was life changing in the sense that, you know, we were given all these tools to be able to use on our clients, mm-hmm. but through the program, we were using them on each other for, you know, as practice, obviously to learn how to deepen our own work. And I, and I can speak for a lot of us in the program, like what true healing it still was for me, you know, in my own recovery and to go back to processing my first life-changing event at 11, you know, I didn't know then that I hadn't really processed that grief at 11. Like I just, I didn't realize I had masked it for so long by jumping into sports right away. And I thought that I was handling my, my um, emotions and, and frustration out in that way, but that I really just hadn't even processed it yet. So 28, 29 years later to be able to do that at the level I've done, um, is one of the most powerful experiences that I've had. So now to be able to learn these, these tools and share these with my clients that are where I've been um, and it, and, it, and not to overcomplicate it, but I think it's just asking them empowering questions as we call them, the right questions, right? To to find the answers that that are within them, they just didn't know it yet. It's it's not like you're gonna hire me for me to tell you these answers. It's, it's realizing I just wanna help bridge the gap of, and help you find whatever it is you're looking for. It's actually with you. It's just, um, help you, you look within, right. And go internally to find that and expose it and have it come out. And, and, um, it's, it's, it's helping them realize I'm not going to go externally, externally for any of it. I'm not going to go find it, you know, in a relationship or a friend or, or this person or that thing, or to buy this, this material thing. Cause then I'm going to find happiness or joy. It's like, it's helping them like find that it's already with have that show up.
0: Yeah. That's so empowering to realize that the, you know, the, the power of change is already within you. You, yep. you know, you just need some help coaxing it out. Right. And so that's beautiful that you're able to help people with that. So what is new or what's coming up for just commit coaching. And, and by the way, where did that name come from?
1: I love that you've asked that question. And, um, Chris, I, I I've gotten so many compliments on my name and I will tell you, um, not only did I use my initials JC, um, but just commit, I, I will say, so my new form of, of exercise in true therapy that I found f- about four years ago, since I couldn't do my body wouldn't let me do my boot camp style workouts anymore. That was a little too intense for what it could handle. Yep. Um, I found Pilates to be um, a great continued way to heal in all ways, mentally, emotionally, all all of it. Mm-hmm. And so the studio name that I go to is called Just Breathe, okay. and I love it because our instructor. Um, you know, through, through a class, she'll always, she'll say something like just hold just pulse, just lift, you know, we're doing all these movements and she makes it sound like it's so simple. Oh, just do this. No, it's so hard every single time, every, everything, every time she says it. So just commit, just, it sounds simple. Like you're just going to commit, but it's so much more than that, right? You're going to commit to yourself and hold yourself accountable for three. I offer a three month package. And, and I'm gonna ask you to do the work. And it's and it's committing to do that work if you want to see change, because it is possible if if you got that will and that want to see it bad enough.
0: I love that you took the name from your own practice from you know your own experience and incorporated that to what you're doing for others. And I agree that what's simple is not always easy, and and so. Exactly. You know, I, I, I was, th- I was just thinking about, you know, again, my own recovery and how they, okay, just do one more rep, you know, just yes. walk a few more steps. And so, it, Yes. yeah, it's all, we're all capable of it. Just digging deep and, you know, re, uh, re, you know, reminding ourselves that we're able to do it. 100%. I
1: love that.
0: Yeah. So what is, what's coming up for just commit?
1: Yeah, so here locally in Indianapolis, I've built such a great community and network of, of other coaches and like-minded professionals. So working on a couple of collaborations here with a couple other um, female coaches to, to empower uh, women around here to, you know, create change within them. So I've got a, a couple of kind of small group um, VIP days coming up and then also just a, a one-to-one um package that I'm bringing for, for others that are, that are willing and ready. So I offer a complimentary clarity call just to figure out, just to learn a little bit more about them and most importantly, see, am I the right coach for them? And are they the right client for me? And if not, can I at least point them in the right direction? But those, those first calls are, are very powerful to see, you know, are we, are we the right fit for one another? Can I be that person for you to to, to, to be your cheerleader and, and support and accountability to take yourself to a level that maybe just didn't see you had before.
0: Now, are you available online as well, uh, or you operate solely in person?
1: You know, with the way the world is right now, being virtual is, is, is a, is a bonus, right? Like that's kind of one good thing, I guess, that's come out of that. Out of yes. This pandemic is to be able to have a, a a broader reach for those that, that need it. You know, I can, as powerful as it was to be in, you know, work in person with my coach over this last year, I've seen just as powerful as it can be, you know, doing, doing a virtual call, just like you and I are doing.
0: Yeah. I agree that, you know, I started the podcast because a few months prior, I decided I want to be a speaker and share my message, And then everything closed down and that was not a possibility, but I wanted to hone my skills. And so, yeah, the pandemic is totally the reason why I have a podcast now. And I've met so many wonderful people like yourself that my life has benefited greatly because of it. So it is, you know, it's all about perspective. So where could people reach out to you if they want to uh, speak, if they want to uh, meet with you, maybe for a complimentary call to see if you are a good fit?
1: Yeah, so I'm... You know, where I've, I've connected with lots of people is LinkedIn because okay. just because you've got, you know, a job or a career, or you're working at a high level, everybody's got something and mm-hmm. I was a mentor at my previous corporate sales role. And it was, it was, it was one of the most exciting roles and opportunities, opportunities I got was to work with sales reps that were maybe newer to the organization, but I was their outlet because they weren't calling to talk about, you know, work. Usually they were calling to talk about life, you know, how am I going to get through this? I'm stressed. You know, I don't have support at home or I can't go to my boss about this, but I need someone to go to. So I, the connections I've made on LinkedIn, have been fantastic. Um, I'm also on at just commit coaching, love to connect there. And then if someone just wants to, I'm on Facebook under my name right now, I don't have a, a, a business um, Facebook group quite yet working on it. Um, but email me Jennifer at just commit
0: Excellent. All right. Well, you already answered my question about the, you know, what you what you're grateful for. I usually ask people about that. So I'm just going to go right to the final question. What is your favorite dinosaur?
1: That is a question I've never been asked, Chris. I'll be honest with you.
0: That's why I ask it.
1: Yeah, I'm sure you get all sorts of answers. Um, I'll guess I'll go T-Rex.
0: All right. And why T-Rex?
1: I mean, he's he's like one of the, the, the uh, he's fierce, dominant, um, strong, powerful. You know, if I had to tie it together with you know, yeah, he's he's confident in who he's who he is, right? As as a, a powerful species, so I'll go T. Rex.
0: Yeah, and even with those tiny arms, he's still ferocious. So
1: <laughs> he is, it, right?
0: There's a lot of shortcomings holding back.
1: Exactly, even even more so. I love them.
0: There you go. Well, Jennifer, it's been an absolute pleasure, pleasure to talk with you and learn about your your story and just commit coaching. And I look forward to you connecting with you further.
1: I feel the same way, Chris. Thanks for the opportunity.
0: Thank you. And so, folks, if you want to reach out to Jennifer to find out more about her story or her coaching. Of possibilities. You can find her on Facebook at Jennifer Chapman and LinkedIn as well. And then just check out justcommitcoaching.com. And again, if you want to find out more about me and what the attitude of gratitude could bring to the young people in your life, you can go to chrisdtgordon.com. You can download a free tag one sheet so you can practice the attitude of gratitude. Maybe go to my merch store and grab one of those. What is your favorite dinosaur t-shirts? so you can ask everyone you know that awesome question. All right, thanks a lot for joining me today. Please have a great day and remember to pass on perfection and go for greatness.